This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. Here are you going to go back to throw the ball? Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. I'm going to start this pod the same way I started my radio show yesterday. Do I want to go doom and gloom? Do I want to uh, rub your nose in or, or, or beat your face in with bad news? No. But we had news. It's not great news. Uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 will not play college football this fall, and I think it's best we talk about that and break it down every way we can just to keep you the best informed that we can. Uh, my name is Matt Bagley. Alongside me across the interwebs via Zoom call is the great Justin Hopkins, ScoopDuck.com, and this is Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Uh, Justin, let's just get your perspective to start things off. You've been writing about this for weeks. How surprised were you at the end uh, that the Pac-12 came to this decision? I mean, absolutely zero. I mean, I can't imagine. uh, I I just, with the way the numbers are going and whatever side of the fence you're on uh, with the COVID, with the pandemic, wearing masks, all that stuff, you know, everybody's got an opinion and that's great. Whatever side you're on, you've got to sit back, remove yourself, remove your feelings from all of that and, and just look at this in the scope of an athletic director of a, of a, of a school university of even mm-hmm. Larry Scott, who I, who I know we don't like, but right. your number one job is taking care of the student athlete. And if you don't feel that, you know, it, basically it comes down to risk. If you feel there's 0% risk, you can move forward. If there's even a 1% or 5% chance of risk, you know, that somebody could die, get sick, have long-term effects from this. You can't risk it. You can't. And, you know, is it slightly overblown? Possibly. It it possibly is. But again, you're talking about, and I know I I wrote about this today on Scoop Deck, you're talking about individuals, whether it's Michael Scheel or it's Rob Mullins or it's Larry Scott or whomever, you're talking about individuals that have worked for 15, 20, 25, 30 years to get into the position they are now, where they are in charge, making good money, making these decisions, that's where they are. Mm -hmm. And as such, you make one wrong decision here and you risk your entire career. You're in trouble. So, you know, I look at it through that way. These guys had no choice. You know, if there was any science at all that said, hey, look, there's no chance anybody gets sick, you're good to go. they'd move forward. But even just the slightest 1% chance of risk, you're talking about the lives of, of 17, 18 to 22 year old young men. You can't put them at risk. You can't afford to, you can't afford uh, getting sued. You can't, you just cannot have that kind of liability. So there was no choice in my eyes. Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the difference between say uh, somebody in the weeds on this a player a coach an ad their interest is in scheduling coaching and playing football games versus michael shill who's the president at oregon 
and uh, the much beleaguered chair spinner, mouth breather that runs the Pac-12, Larry Scott. I'm not going to give Larry Scott a compliment here, but I really like Michael Schill. I I like uh, Dr. Ed Ray at Oregon State and, and the presidents that lead these universities. I think that their perspective is going to be totally different. Like, if you ask a player, and, and I said this on my radio show yesterday, I think the players, even with the players' unity movement, would still vote to play through COVID. I think if you ask the coaches, they would have voted, hey, if my team wants to play, I want to coach. We're going to get these games in. But university presidents, they're thinking big picture, and they're thinking about liability and they're thinking about uh, bad publicity any damage to the university and they're thinking about the the knowledge that we have now that we might not have had in March uh, now that some schools have reopened and and now that we've seen sports leagues bubble and sports leagues avoid the bubble and what happens when they do that and I think the the universities of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were just left with no choice yeah, it. Uh, I know you and I talked about this off air, and it, it becomes a game of posturing. You know, it, mm-hmm. to me, it feels like the SEC and Big Twelve are puffing out their chest, like, "Oh, we're we're going to keep going. We're going right. to play, and we're going, you know, we're going to have a season, and we're not we're not chickening out." And it, you know, to me, it's it's sure they're going to play this game for a week or two, and then they're going to have to come to the realization that all their same presidents, all their same ADs, all their same conference commissioners are all going to say, look, guys, <laughs> we can't play. Yeah. You know, there's there's too much of a risk here. And, and as much as I'm sure that the players oh, or even we'll just use Mario Cristobal as an example, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I feel confident saying that he would never want to put his players, uh, you know, health in, uh, jeopardize it and put them in a bad position just to play the game of football. But even if he's standing – at, at Michael Shields' doorstep yelling, let us play football, it's not Coach Christopoul's decision. It's not his risk. He's not mm-hmm. the one that's going to lose his job or his reputation for giving that go-ahead. And this is not obviously not a slight to Coach Christopoul, who we're both very fond of here on the show. But, you know, it, once again, it comes to the, down to those individuals that make all of these types of decisions, not just this one today or yesterday or whatever, not just around COVID. They're making all of the other decisions that go along with it. And you've got to look at these guys. Their their number one, absolute number one job is looking after the student athlete, looking after the students at their school, making sure that everybody is 100% safe and, and won't suffer any long-term effects here. So and again, you know, you and I've talked about this before. I know we've missed the podcast for a couple of weeks, but even last couple of times we've talked, this isn't the NFL. These guys aren't right. paid. You right. know, you know they, 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 that's totally different. I'm, I'm confident in saying that the NFL is probably already or will have all new contracts drawn up for these guys, for the NFL players saying, hey, look, you're accepting the risks. You understand yeah. that you're going to play and be paid but these are some new risks involved. I'm sure all that paperwork's being drawn up. But again, you're, you're, we are still at a spot, barely, I'd say barely, but we are still at a spot where you're talking about amateur athletes versus pro athletes, although it seems to be that we're getting closer and closer to college football players becoming pro athletes uh, just as we kind of inch towards that. Yeah, I, I can confirm uh, the NFL last week had an opt-out deadline. The way they did it was they they set terms with the players' union, 
and the players' union agreed to those terms, and that's what the players are doing. And and that's really the, the key difference. Like you mentioned, there is no players' union to collectively bargain COVID-19 safety precautions in college football. No way to right. do it. Um, and you're not paying them. You're right. not paying the college athletes. You right. know what I mean? It's 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 basically saying, look, it's for the, for the people listening. It's the it's the equation of this, which some people might have had happen. Hey, look, we're going to open back up, and you can return to work and, and 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 keep your normal salary and work your normal. But you need to sign this and accept the fact that you could get COVID or have effects from it, or your your coworker might have it. Mm-hmm. We're going to make you sign this. I could see a company like Amazon or a major corporation that says, hey, look, we need to limit our liability. And that's just in the normal workplace. You're doing that on a much grander scale when it comes to college football and the NFL. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, I, I, I want to point back to a word you said in your last part there. Um, these players are, are barely unpaid. Uh, do you think this is the last season of that traditional amateur student athlete model so i you know i touched on this in an article today uh on scoop duck and uh if you're if you're if you're a subscriber then you read it and if you're not then you're hearing about it here which is great as well uh i i i uh i need to word this carefully because i'm sure it's gonna uh, upset somebody but i think the players and I speak about the Pac-12 players, the we are united, and then it became the we want to play unions. And I I, I think they they made an attempt to get that closer. Uh, We saw the original demands, which were wildly uh, just out of bounds, in my opinion, Uh, you know, 50% of of the revenue and stuff like that. Now, upping their stipends and doing some of these other things I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board with, you know, I'm, I'm fully on board with some of the demands that were there. And, and I think they were fair, but they made a play in my opinion, basically almost threatening, Hey, we're going to sit out because part of that was COVID based. Like if we don't feel safe enough, we're not going to return to football. Then right. what will you do? Right. Well, they turned around and canceled football and all of a sudden it became the, we are, we want to play movement. It's like, well, they kind of called your bluff, guys. You need to, you know, you're, you're going to need to go another direction. Do I believe that we will get to a point, to your question, do I believe that we'll get to a point where we're paying college football athletes some amount of money? I do. I, I, I just, I, it certainly seems that they're trending that direction. Uh, they're, they're gaining too much traction that at some point, maybe not this year, maybe not even next year, but at some point, probably within the next three to five years, I could see that being implemented somehow. Now I'll follow that up with this. And I think we've talked about it here before. I know I've talked about it on the site. I do believe that the the, the players that think they're going to get some form of money or sponsorship by doing that are grossly misinformed. It's going to be a very few and select amount. It's not going to be like the NFL. You know, you, I, I, and I, I think we talked about, this. I think even a guy like Panay Sewell, who's a top five draft pick is going to be difficult to market because he's an offensive lineman, a Justin Fields, that's a quarterback at Ohio state or somebody of that stature would probably benefit. But even a guy like Javon Holland, who's a, who's a stud defensive back, obviously another first round potential top 10 guy. I think even his market value is very difficult to determine and is probably not what he thinks it is. And then at that point, you've got to factor in whatever you're getting. You're obviously having to, to pay an agent or paying a, a, a money management fee, you know, or something of that 
uh, of that caliber, you're probably only getting 50% of whatever you're getting uh, at best anyway. So I think we're headed there. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be quite what the players envision it to be. Hmm. Okay. Um, that That's interesting to me because I've always heard people argue the other side that it's just going to be the Wild West and a ton of money and college football might not be able to keep pace with it. Well, uh, I mean, let's put it this way. I think by doing it, you're going – so let's just assume you're getting some of the revenue that your school – so let's just say, you know, Penesul is going to get 10% of whatever Oregon's revenue is, which is obviously huge, but we're just using numbers. Right. You're going to – you're basically essentially by the time you do that, you're taking that revenue away from the other non-revenue producing sports that are using that money originally. So – Ultimately, what you're probably going to end up doing is hurting those other sports more than you're hurting anything else. The university is going to survive. It's going to be there. But guess what? Those new facilities, instead of them being done every 10 years, they're going to be every 15 years now. Uh, you know, your meals in the cafeteria that you eat before practice and after practice every day. It's probably no longer going to be, you know, really nice hamburgers. It'll be frozen patties. And, and, and you know what I mean? It's going to have a trickle down effect. It has to. There's, I mean, where does the money come from otherwise? So um, I think it's dangerous. I think it's going to end up backfiring at some point. I, I don't know how far down the line. I don't know how serious it'll be. But I, I do think, I do believe, and I've talked to a lot of people that feel the same way, I do believe the number of college athletes that think they're going to actually really, truly benefit from this change is going to be a fairly small amount. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, one last uh, question, just kind of um, retrospective on on the bombshell yesterday. Big Ten and Pac-12 are not going to play college football this fall. I think we're both in agreement. The SEC, Big 12, ACC, they're, they're talking a big game right now, but it's all a bluff. Posturing, 100%. I, I mean, and, and we'll just we'll use them for example, Ryan Day at Ohio State. Uh, Scott Frost at Nebraska, obviously very vocal about we're going to play. We'll find opponents. We'll figure it out. We're going to play. We're going to play. It's all posturing. I mean, you know, you're Ryan Day. You're the head football coach of Ohio State. You've got some clout. But the AD at some point is going to be like, dude, we're not going to schedule out of our conference. We're not going to do this. Oh, by the way, the the president's saying we're not playing at all because there's a 5% chance, you know, somebody could get COVID and die from it or whatever. We ain't playing he knows that. I mean, he's not hes not unaware. It's not as though he's not privy to these conversations. It's probably not as though he's talking to the AD or president. I would guess, if not daily, at least every other day or every third day at the worst. He's fully aware of where his conference is headed. I mean, look, if I knew that the Pac-12 was going to end up pushing things to January, and I'm just some dude in Southern Oregon that, that writes about the Ducks. If I knew that the Pac-12 was going to push things to January before they even release the September schedule. I guarantee he's got more insight than my ass does. So I believe it's posturing by him. I believe it's posturing by the uh, SEC, the ACC. And even then you look at the SEC, Florida's a freaking mess when it comes to this COVID stuff right now. I mean, there's no way they're playing football. I don't know. You know, I I just don't, (laughs) sometimes you just look at things and you have to call a spade a spade. And, and really, I mean, if they play, I'm happy to eat my words. If they if they play in September, I'm absolutely happy to eat my words. But right now, it really feels like, you know, those two 
uh, just kind of played a game of chicken with the other conferences. Like, oh, we're going to play. We're going to play. You guys are chickens. Well, truth be told, they're probably not going to play. Yeah. I, I, I think back, and you've pointed this out. You've been writing about this for weeks on Scoop Duck. Um, to me, it feels like the game changer in all of this. The moment that I saw the conferences are changing their tone. They're not talking about um, reforming a fall schedule and playing 10 games in the fall. They're not talking about how, um, you know, we, we got back on track for player workouts in June and we're getting ready for uh, organized workouts as a team, things like that. It all kind of changed when baseball season started back. And right. I, I think back to that Marlins outbreak where – they had as many as 16 players test positive at one point, and their opponent voted as a team, the Washington Nationals voted, we don't want to fly to Florida because we don't want to play them. And I, I just remember thinking, if this happens in baseball, where there's 30 teams, and the teams are tiny in comparison to college football teams, what's going to happen in college football? Right. And you're talking about basically a non-contact sport, for that matter, as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. With tons yeah. of distancing. Uh, yeah, tons of distancing and able to distance. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, what are you going to do? I, for me, I, I do have I have two sides of this coin. I do, I do, full, because here's the thing, you know, I wrote about it on Scoop Duck, and I know that he came out and said as much last night, but, uh, and, and him, I mean Mario Cristobal, Oregon, has had a ton of tests and I, I, I'm not going to give the number, but it's a lot and they haven't had any positive case cases reported related to football. Now they've been very diligent about it. They've done very well. And of course you can control those players in an. Those are a couple of the elements that you're working with. I, I do believe that the players as a whole are safer on campus practicing getting the medical attention of the university. And I mean, Oregon or whoever, rather than, Hey, you guys go back home, do your online schooling and come back in two months and we'll start practice. When they come back, you know, those guys have probably been hanging around their buddies, been doing this or that, seeing their friends, seeing their family out. You can't control it. You know, you're going to come back with some guys that probably have contracted the coronavirus, whether they're asymptomatic or whatever. Right. 18 year olds are going to be dumb. I I was dumb at 18. Yeah, they're going to do those types of things. So, you know, it becomes a matter of, you know, will, let's just say, for example, will Oregon try to keep all of its players, you know, on campus and, hey, do your schooling in your apartment, stay, you know, try and stay in, blah, 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 whatever they're allowed to do as opposed to those kids going back. I don't think they can't force them. I don't think they can force them and they can't make them. So it's going to be up to kind of your culture in place, what the team decides to do, what the coaches decide to do. Uh, You know, so that's one question there. You know, like you said, with baseball, um, you know, they're obviously able to test and control it and have a lot of money for testing. Uh, I think a lot of your major universities do, but at some point that becomes a cost where you have to weigh. And I think that was a big reason why we saw some of the smaller conferences fold a little bit early, mm-hmm. uh, you know, earlier than the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, that's another another avenue that you start talking about is, is the cost of testing. How much is enough? You know, does everybody need to do it the same? Do you do it state by state? Do you do it right. school by school? Right. 
so many dang questions. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just a mess and it's, it's a bummer. I mean, and the, and the hard part is we all kind of knew this was coming, right. It was like, oh, okay. You know, the, we still got a chance of playing. You're telling me there's, I just think of, uh, you know, Lloyd on dumb and dumber, man. So you're telling me there's a chance, right? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it felt like. And then, you know, drops the bomb where it's like, you know, really there isn't. Right. And, and that's it. So, um, you know, moving forward, it'll be, again, in my opinion, and I'm guessing we'll talk about this next. I think if you're not playing football in January, you're not playing football at all. I mean, it's going to have to be early on in the calendar year to be able to do it. Um, You know, I just think you get too many problems if you're pushing it back into March, April. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But first, I got to still uh, come to terms with the fact that I just got dumped by Mary Samsonite. I don't feel that that good about that. Um uh i swear i had a point oh um you just reminded me a couple weeks back i spoke with uh the ad at southern oregon university and and obviously way different world they are small college naia um not a big money operation but similar to the ducks sou loves football and football right. funds everything else at Southern Oregon. And uh, anyway, I remember talking to Matt Sayre. And in, in his opinion, the reason why you were seeing um, the NAIA come to its decision to postpone, D3, D2, smaller D1, all sort of coming to that agreement that, hey, we, we can't pull this off. It wasn't so much the, the testing costs for them, it was that um, standards point that you brought up of do you set a standard that's different at every school? Do you set a standard that's different in all 50 states? Because you can't trust that, right? Like your, your right. program at Oregon, Mario Cristobal believes he has put a really good program in place to keep players safe. Uh, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, he believes the same thing. Um, Matt Sarah at Southern Oregon, small school, they believed they had a program to keep their players safe. But what happens when you go play somewhere else? They didn't right. have an answer to that question. Right. Yeah, and that's, that, and that's, you know, that's the big, biggest risk is obviously when you get outside the bubble. Okay, you go and you put these kids on an airplane, you know, so Eugene's going to, you know, you got to leave Eugene and you got to fly down to Berkeley and play Cal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, obviously you're going to do your best. You're going to mask them up. You're going to try and isolate them. But again, you just can't insulate them from everything. Uh, you can't put them in a bubble. Um, you know, so, yeah, I think that became a, a big part of it. And like you said, everybody was doing something different. You know, it, it, it seemed like, you know, I, as far as I understand, Oregon was doing weekly tests don't know that anybody was doing more than that, but I'm sure there were a lot of schools doing less than that out there. Um, and, and it might've been successful for them, but, and then again, just like we talked about earlier, or at least I mentioned, you know, the state of Florida is a mess right now yes. in terms of, of, you know, of the increase in COVID cases and a lot of States are going up, but not all the same. So, you know, how do you weigh that with everybody having, and, and not even just the States. I mean, you look at the state of Oregon, Obviously, Northern Oregon, the Portland area, cases are a lot more prevalent than in Southern Oregon. How do you, you know, how do you manage that? So, just so so many things, and it almost seems like if you just hold off for a couple months and see if they can get this thing under control, hopefully that maybe you move forward at that point with a lot less of these 
hurdles that you need to jump over. Yeah. Um, you have been on this from the start. It's one of the things that, that separate you from some of the other guys on your beat is I think sometimes you can get really aggressive in um, a certain story. Uh, Devin Williams is a great example. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, if a five-star is about to flip, you're talking about it two or three weeks early. Um, and, and you've been talking about this early for a couple of weeks, January schedule. You're really banging the yeah. drum for this. Tell me why that is the best case scenario for the Pac-12. Well, let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. First thing you need right now is time. You need more time for this virus to get under control. And whether that means there's a vaccine, whether that means cases just go down, whatever that entails, you need more time for this virus to get under control. Whether it's deadly or not, once again, if it poses even a 0.02% risk to the student athlete at your school, you're gonna take the safe route. So uh, again, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Next after that is, okay, how much time can you afford? Obviously we're fully aware that when you push anything back, it's gonna have an impact on other things. In this particular case, if you're talking about football, uh, college football, that is, you push it too far back, you're going to have an impact on what the NFL is doing. Uh, you know, we know that the the uh, NFL draft is in late April, early May, a couple days there um, is when the draft takes place. I think overall, I know the NFL said they won't move the draft, but I think if it comes down to it and you ask them to move the draft back a week or two weeks, I'm sure they can accommodate that. If you ask them to move it back a month or two, probably not going to happen. They're not going to do it. So if you, if, if you kind of extend, extend an olive branch and make it realistic, I think they'll jump on board with it. Uh, next thing that we got to talk about, which I've talked about on the site, if you move it to January, you could be done by May. And that, and that would be including, that would be include everything. You're going to start camp in January, maybe get it uh, in the last week of December. Okay. You can start playing football in February, play in March, do your conference championship, uh, maybe the first week of April, and then you move into a, a quick playoff system in the month of April, you're done by May. Okay, so at that point, you're still within a couple weeks of the NFL draft being done. The big hurdles become what about those early enrollees when it comes to recruiting that do sign and show up at your school in January? Do you allow them to play? Do you not allow them to play? Do you inflate scholarship numbers to make room for them because you've got an 85 scholarship limit and all of a sudden you've infused you know uh, let's just say 15 kids and you expected 15 kids to be done and graduated by that point and and they haven't done so you know so what does the NCA do there you've got some questions but overall in the scheme of things I do believe those are manageable you know what I mean if, if, if the NCA says hey look we just need to bump up the scholarship limit until uh, until June give everybody uh, 20 extra spots and make the decision whether you allow those early enrollees to play or not. And if it impacts their eligibility by a year or not pretty, I mean, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a big topic, but those are easy to handle. That's not a big logistics thing. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think those are manageable. The biggest thing that I would talk about, and I did hear uh, urban Meyer echo as much yesterday, whom I don't often listen to, but, you know, I did, I did agree with his point because it was my original point. You can forego spring football, the, the, the spring practices and the spring game, and still manage to keep your fall camp and fall season starting on time. 
I, I think there's a big issue there. If you if you push things too far back, you bump yourself into the 2021 season and you start pushing things back there. And you really create this domino effect that just mm-hmm. has a lot more trouble than it's worth, in my opinion. I think if you're done by May, which is typically when everybody's done with spring football anyways, I do think there is some danger in putting these young men through two seasons uh, in a calendar year. That's a lot of wear and tear on a body, especially in particular, the game of football. If you're done by May, and and again, that would be not everybody's playing in May. You've got the select few that are playing a playoff. Maybe you have a half dozen bowl games. I don't really know. But again, you've done a shortened season, probably only eight games instead of 12, 13, whatever. You've done a conference championship. Um, You could even forego that if you had to and just name whoever has the best record in your conference. A lot of things you can do there. But the important part is if you start pushing this to March or April, and these young men don't get done playing football till June, and you expect them to turn around in August and play, uh, you know, start football camp again. There's no way. There's no way their bodies can recover. I, I just don't think that's plausible. So, to me, I, and I said it as much today, it's January or bust at this point. You either get them in, get us get a, a shortened season in, conference only, of course. Once again, get that season in. Do what you're going to do there. Maybe get the NFL draft to work with you for a week or two and move things around probably totally plausible and then get your guys ready for a fall season that starts on time. I think that's the key in all of this. Mm. Will it happen? I have, obviously I have absolutely no idea, but I think that's kind of been the, the push for a while now with everybody really realizing that a September start date wasn't realistic and that a late spring date doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, I I guess that's where I'm at with it. I don't know where you're at, but that's my two cents on on why January makes the most sense. Okay, so I want to follow up on a couple things. Uh, When when we think about the timing of this decision that the Pac-12 made yesterday, it's August 12th. They, on August 11th, voted to postpone football to potentially 2021. Um, Football season wasn't scheduled to start until late September for them. The Big Ten right. made the decision at the same time. It was in uh, early December that their season was slated to start. The schools made the decision about a month in advance. When you say January, you're bust. What's the deadline for these schools to be ready and be safe? Yeah, I think at this point, and that's a great question, Matt. I think at this point you're looking, because here's the thing, you know, coaches need time to prepare. They need to have their, you know, they need to have everything in place. If that includes testing, they've got to have that in place, whatever the case might be. They need to know the schedule, you know? And so I don't, I think what ultimately drove this thing to, to happen now, because a lot of folks will say, Hey, look, you know, why cancel it now? Just wait and see. Well, you don't want these guys going and breaking into a camp and, and working for a couple of weeks and sweating and doing all that and preparing and then pull the plug on them. I mean, that is just brutal to do to anybody, to coaches, to players, whatever. That's a brutal thing to do. So let's just say, for example, that you want to start, uh, we'll just call it fall camp, even though it's not. You want to start fall camp at the beginning of January, the end of December, somewhere in that time frame. Okay, that way you can pl- yeah, well, you can practice for four weeks or so and be playing in February, early February, that first weekend. I think you've got to have a decision on that probably no later, absolutely no later, and earlier is better than the first week of December. That, I mean, that's the drop-dead last last date. I think you can get away with doing that. Okay. Ultimately, I would really say that by the start of December, 
I believe that a more concrete schedule needs to be ironed out, a plan, all of the um, regulations that will be imposed on schools. I think at that point, you really need to start looking at this and applying it more broadly than on a state-by-state -state basis. I think you can get away with that now, but at that point, it needs to, hey, everybody needs to test once a week. If you get numbers, notify us, you know, whatever. You need to have all those uh, I's dotted by the, by the end of November. And if you don't, then in my opinion, if they don't play starting in January, you'll just, you'll just won't see football till August. Okay. Opinion. All right. So Thanksgiving, let's be serious. Let's, uh, let's keep that as the deadline. Got to get this thing under control. Um, and, uh, yeah, I want to follow up on, on January versus spring. I think I said the same thing on my show last night. Just, I, I think the issue with spring is if you play in the spring, you've got to adjust the next season, kind of like what the NBA did, where I don't know if they've talked about this very much, but they are going to do it. It's understood that the NBA is going to start on Christmas next year. They're, they're cutting like three months out of their calendar. Um, unless college football is willing to do that, where maybe you don't play in the fall next fall and you play in the winter. Um, I don't see how spring could work. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, just I guess to my point with what you're saying, yeah, you are impacting two seasons for the sake of one mm -hmm. and, and not even for the sake of one. You're talking about a shortened, abbreviated season and it's better than no season. Don't get me wrong. Right. But, you know, like you said, uh, yeah, if you if you play any later you know, starting in January, you, you're going to have to push back the fall. Do you eliminate a couple games? Do you change the schedule? What are you doing logistically there? You know, and that becomes a whole nother can of worms and, and how you apply that to everybody. I believe, and, I, and I've got to believe that the, that the guys that are much smarter than me and make way more money than I do, the decision makers fully believe that unless they can do something that doesn't impact next season, they're not doing it. You know what I mean? So it's either, hey, look, we got to do something that salvages this season and doesn't impact next season. If we can't do that, we punt and we move on. And, 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 and you know, I'm not an expert, but I'm just I'm just thinking logically here. I mean, mm -hmm. it just as much as I would love to see football. I mean, as much as I do believe that, uh, you know, the loss of football will definitely impact my business financially, will impact your business financially. I get all that. I just don't see any logical way that they, you know, put up a half-hearted season, not half-hearted, but, you know, a makeshift season and, and have it end up costing them games or, or next season at all. So right. uh, for me, I mean, honestly, just for me, from where I sit, I, it's January or bust. And if that, and if we don't get a good handle on this pandemic in the next two months, it ain't happening. Yeah. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Um, we haven't talked about recruiting and, and the impact on that world. Um, kind of shine a light on me here. Tell me, tell me with the Pac-12 not playing and with three conferences posturing, what impact is that going to have on recruiting? None. I mean, these kids aren't going to let the – at this point – the, the young men that are, are, are committed are, are committed to their programs. I mean, they're not looking at it like, oh, you know, Oregon's scared to play football. I'm going to go somewhere else. That's not at all what's going on. I mean, that, that's, 
um, you know, I, I do see that on Twitter and I do read that on the message boards. And I think that's definitely overblown. Uh, you know, folks believe that let's just say, for example, the SEC plays and the, and the Pac-12 doesn't, you know, everybody's going to jump in the transfer portal. Well, guess what, guys? Alabama's only got so many spots on their roster, and they're usually trying to figure out how to blue shirt or gray shirt kids just to get them all signed in their particular classes. So it's not like Auburn or Alabama or Florida have all these open spots for Panay Sewell and everybody to jump over. So uh, I just don't think that's feasible as well. And again, I'll circle back to my original point. I just don't believe the SEC is going to end up playing in September like they're posturing. Um, in terms of recruiting, uh, what it does, though, what I do believe now as a result of what we know is that let's just possibly operate under the expectation that Oregon and everybody in the Pac-12 and everybody, for that matter, will play football in January and potentially play two seasons in one calendar year next year if that's the case. If you do you are going to be – depth is going to be a premium on everybody's football roster because you're going to have guys that are going to be tired. You're going to be playing guys that you probably weren't expecting to play. You're going to see more injuries. That's going to be a byproduct of that. I think that's where depth really becomes a premium for everybody's roster at this point, which how do you fix depth? You and I both know that. The answer is through recruiting. Okay, so you need to recruit this class really well. Mario Cristobal needs to sign the guys he's got now, finish up with a couple more stars, and get those guys on campus as, as quickly as possible. I think that becomes the, the biggest the biggest thing to look at now. I think this 2021 class just becomes that much more important for Oregon and the other programs to sign because right now you don't you don't know. We don't know when we'll get an answer about next season or a January season or a spring season. We don't know when we'll get an answer about mm -hmm. that. And most of these kids are going to design are going to sign sign their paperwork by mid December, which means if you wait till the last minute to to you know to to get a push on on recruiting, that will have a major impact on your depth chart, uh, on the depth on your roster next year. So I think for Oregon, you keep the hammer down. You take this time that's free to continue recruiting the guys you want, make sure your guys are committed. And I do believe that this now becomes a paramount recruiting class, not only for Oregon, but for, for any program uh, in any conference. Because yeah. I think the, these young freshmen that, that uh, might be coming in and you might be counting on redshirting might not end up redshirting after all because you're going to need the extra bodies if you do play two seasons in a calendar year. I'm going to follow up on a line that you said. Uh, you think Mario got to add depth means you got to keep adding stars, keep adding talent to the program. Um, there's there's really no high school football in the Western U.S. in 2020. How are they going to find the talent? How does that process change? Yeah, they, don't get me wrong. That definitely throws a wrinkle in because here's how normal. Here's how a normal recruiting year would work. Okay. So you're going to, at this point with the way things have accelerated, you're going back and you're basically watching the sophomore game film, sophomore game film of most of these guys in the 21 class when you offer them as early juniors, right? So then you offer them as early juniors. You watch them go through a spring. You watch them go through a season. You go back. You look at the game film from their junior year. Did they progress? Are they better? Are they bigger? You know, are we comfortable with the offer that we made to this guy? Are we wanting to take him? Do we want to push forward and recruit him? And that's really where you kind of turn things up and trust your valuations. Well, at this point, all you've got 
Okay. Because they wiped out basically all the spring. There's no camps. There's no, you know, you didn't get to do the satellite camps. You, there hasn't been that many, you know, seven on seven tournaments and all those things have kind of gotten pushed off. So you've, you've had to skip the spring and now you're not going to get to see their, their senior game film to, to see that development from sophomore to junior to senior. Hey, is this guy continuing to the, take the next step? Are the things that we liked on his film as a sophomore and junior still there? Are they better? Are they worse? Is he bigger? You know, all these different things that you go back to reevaluate on are gone, which is, which is very dangerous, which is very dangerous. You're really going to have to trust your valuations now uh, as a staff. So um, what we're seeing, at least, uh, at least right now, what we're seeing is a lot of these young men that have basically been told they will not have a senior year are saying, well, I'm going to just go ahead and enroll in school early. And so that becomes the real, you know, are you ready to take this guy early? Do you have room for him? If you're playing in January, is, is there going to be a scholarship, uh, you know, allotment change by the NCAA? Uh, you know, do you, do you want this kid in there? Is he going to play right away? Just so many questions that, that go into this. Uh, it, it sucks because senior film, senior film is very valuable, not so much for a five-star Corey Foreman uh, or a five-star Bryce Foster, not a guy like that. But we've seen a lot of guys in the state of Oregon, state of Washington, Northern California that have blown up in the month of September, in the month of October on right. the recruiting trail because right. they're having a, a great season. There's going to be a lot of those young men that feel this more than anybody else. Yeah. Um, you know, th th those guys ranked in the top 250 on 24-7 sports or rivals or whatever, they're going to be just fine. They're, they're, they've got a home. They've got scholarship offers. They're just fine. It's these other guys that didn't get to show out in the seven-on-seven seven camps, didn't get to show out. And, and, I, and I say this, and it, it, people think it's crazy, but a lot of times just the first two to three weeks of their senior film is all you need. You get two or three games on film, slap it together real quick, get it out to the coaches, and they're immediately on your tail. They might watch a game or two more, but, but you know, fairly early into your senior season, you've got recruiting interest that picks up. Uh, it, it, it's going to be uh, – it's going to be difficult for those young men. I don't know. I don't know what you do other than going out in your backyard and having your dad videotape you running some routes or something. Uh, you know, it's, it's scary to me for those guys. So I guess what will happen is here's where the, here's where the ranking mongers, the people that hate uh, recruiting rankings <laughs> in three or four years, you're going to have all these no stars, three stars that suddenly come out of nowhere and are right. great, fantastic football players that, you know, didn't get an offer or got an offer late that are, that are superstar players. Well, you can thank COVID for that. So <laughs> I love that I guess, term. I guess, that, I guess that's one positive, right? I love that term ranking mongers. Um, I, I was talking about the NFL draft last night and how if college football moves to the spring, um, or, or cancels its season entirely, I think that would have an impact on the draft for a similar reason. Uh, sounds like you're in agreement then that, you you have a lot of players that are kind of late bloomers. Yeah, in terms of in terms of uh, college football players, right? Like, yeah, like high yeah, school, I'm, high school to college. You, yes, yeah, you do. I mean, well, and let's face it, you know, um, we can use. We're in the state of Oregon. We can use the state of Oregon for example because it's a great example. There's a there, there's typically not a lot of top recruits in the state. Okay, so typically those guys, you know, everybody else that isn't a, a Keith Brown or one of the, the, the top name guys is getting overlooked. 
and counts on having a senior year. Those guys might not end up at the University of Oregon, and that's okay. They could end up at Boise State. They can end up at Washington State. That's typically where a lot of those schools, you know, kind of kind of fill out their classes. So, you know, now you just kind of wonder how that'll be, you know, for those schools. Because let's face it, a, a Washington State, for example, you know, isn't able to go out there and and do what Mario Crispa does and, and, and get their class, you know, committed uh, you know, a, a, a top five class in the country, you can't go and get them committed by, you know, uh, May and June, like Mario Cristobal was able to do. So I don't know how those guys will operate differently. Um, there, I guess that's where you really value, uh, your staff having strong valuations. Cause that's going to be the key for, for a lot of schools like that. And, uh, and I do think that this definitely, you know, the no high school football will, uh, it will really impact a lot of those young men that, 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 you know, that are the fringe players. And uh, hopefully, you know, maybe if they end up playing a, a shortened season, um, I think uh, Oregon, the state of Oregon is going to do a mini fall season. Right. Like, like in uh, March, I think March and April. Yeah. What they talked about doing late, late February, early March is when that's yeah. going to get rolling. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, again, that might have an impact on the recruiting of, of say a Washington state or even an Oregon state that would normally take three or four of those guys they might not sign their full class in February on the traditional national signing day might leave some open spots for some of those guys. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something to think about as well. Oregon, the university of Oregon, I don't see them uh, needing to do that in particular, but I could see, you know, again, I hate to use them as an example, but an Eastern Washington, Washington state, yeah. maybe even a, a Cal for that matter, instead of signing a full class on national signing day in February, uh, maybe keeping some spots open for those late bloomers. Yeah. Because there will there will be some of those late bloomers. There definitely will be. Right. Right. I, I the name that keeps popping out to me, uh I know he he's not going to play for the Ducks, but he might play against the Ducks in a couple of years. Uh Demir Collins is an Oregon State commit and they'll yeah. they'll wait for him to enroll if he wants to play this spring. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh what one more thing on all of this. Um I think I lost my train of thought, but, uh, oh, um, it's cause we haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks. We're right, rusty. Right. I'm, I'm hella rusty today. Uh, the, the big question, I actually got a text message about this from an Oregon booster earlier. Do you think any players from Oregon or from the PAC 12 or from the big 10 might transfer to the other three conferences? Uh, I mean, the only way they do is, it, and again, so big hypothetical, the only way they, they would or is if, you know, the, the SEC ends up actually moving forward and playing a season in September. I do believe that that likelihood is incredibly, incredibly low, that that will truly take place. I would not be shocked one bit if in the next two weeks we've heard that everybody's pushing you know, pushing the fall schedule back into the spring, whether that's January, whether it's after that, they're going to push it back. Uh, I also have a really tough time, and I'll just use him as an example, Panay Sewell. Who wouldn't want Panay Sewell on their team? Everybody would love to have him on their team. And uh, I just have a, a really tough time believing that a young man like that would jump ship to go play uh, you know, at Alabama or Auburn or whatever mm-hmm. uh, for what amounts to, and, and again, what amounts to a makeshift season, even if you went to play there and those com- even if you got two conferences, the SEC and the ACC, and they said, we're going to play in September and everybody else says, no, what are you really playing for? 
you know what I mean? Just to play football and beat the other guys in your conference, you're not going to have a true, you know, championship. There's no true playoff. So again, unless everybody's on board, I, I have a tough time believing those guys would leave or any of those guys of that caliber would yeah. leave their respective school to go chase, you know, a, a makeshift miniature season somewhere. How many people have asked you about Penay? Because I think it's funny. Like he he seems like the obvious one of everybody's afraid about Penay, and I I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. I mean, uh, I get I get the fear in the fact that you would hate to lose a guy like that. I understand the fear of that potentially happening, but what I don't get is is how you don't look at it and see the likelihood as probably no more than 5% happening. I mean, you know, and, and that's just even ruling out the fact that he's a great kid, team guy, right. leader on the Oregon team, all that. So you discount all that stuff, and it's just like, dude, you know, why would you leave to go do, again, what I believe amounts to a makeshift, almost scrimmage of a season? It's not a real season. It's not like you're playing for a, a – even if you won the national championship, and I'm using air quotes – it's going to have you know an asterisk next to it next to it forever. Um, I just don't see the reward there for players like him or other players. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, do you think there's a chance a player like him, or I'll even throw Javon Holland into this mix because I think he's going to be a very highly valued NFL draft pick. Uh, any chance that guys that are draft eligible just say I'm out and I'm going to declare early? I mean, that'll, uh, yeah, I think that'll depend on the season. I think if you, I, like I said, like I outlined earlier, I think if you do have a January uh, season effectively and you're done, you know, by May and the NFL draft works with you and says, hey, look, we'll push back a week or two. Um, I, I think if all those things line up and they could and they should, I don't think that they would forego. Now, if you push it to the spring, you know, let's just say if you push to a, a, a March starting season and you're not done till you know june or whatever the case might be and the nfl says you know ts we're going to go ahead and draft then i think players like that have a, a totally different decision to make and I, and I and i do believe that if that is the case uh that that you have seen panay sewell and javon holland uh, play their last duck game yeah yeah I mean, those are the two guys that stand out to me just because i think that there are players, like I used the Joe Burrow example on my show last night, a guy that would have been a third rounder if he hadn't had that last year at LSU with the air raid offense and, and all the fun. Um, but he puts those numbers together, wins the Heisman, wins a national championship game, and he's the first overall pick running away with it. No, nobody was close to him in the conversation for uh, first overall pick. I think that there are a lot more of those guys than there are the guys like Panay who there are teams that will take him right now. Uh, or yeah. guys like Holland, um, I, I see him as the first safety off the board next year just because of his ball skills. Um, I think those guys, they don't have anything to prove. If there's no football to play, they're going to move and, and get ready for the combine and the draft. Yeah, you're right. I mean, let's and uh, that is a, a a further example of recruiting. You know, those top 100, top 50 players that were ranked, you know, as as five stars, four stars early on. You know, they don't have anything left to prove with a senior year. They really don't. They don't need to show another ounce of film. They're going to get taken by the cream of the crop out there. 
it's the same thing with guys like Panay and Javon. You know, the NFL has basically accelerated itself too, as far as their uh, evaluations. They've kind of moved things up a year, looking at how guys really. You know, is this did this guy start as a true freshman? If so, why? You know, okay, let's track him to his sophomore year. Well, you know, you track Panay Sewell as a true freshman to his sophomore year. You don't need to see anymore. Right. You know, on a guy like right. that. So the Auburn it, game. It, just just watch the Auburn game. Yeah, yeah, you don't see, but you know, again, it, <laughs> as far as as far as who this impacts, and I'll I'll use the uh, the similar similar analogy. You've got guys like Deamador Lenore and Thomas Graham, who I know Oregon fans will, you know, will know. Those guys came back. They're what I would call fringe draft players at this particular moment, and they need needed and need a big senior year in order for them to move up draft boards. And so, you know, now what do you do with guys like that? Those are the guys that you know. If you're playing in January, they'll play it out, and it will help them a bunch. Mm-hmm. If you're playing in the spring, uh, you know March, April, and the NFL doesn't doesn't move things back. You know what do those guys do? Are they good enough to get drafted? Do they have to go ahead and play and and and, and move their draft back another year? Um, you know that's where it'll really impact things way more than a Javon Holland or a you know or a Panay Sewell. Yeah. All right, so I, I feel like we ran the gamut really well. Uh, any other things that you feel like fans need to know right now? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I appreciate everybody for being patient with us and, and for understanding and, and uh, just kind of, I guess what I say is we're just kind of navigating the territory altogether. You know, Matt and I don't have any more you know, news on how to, you know, to navigate this than you, than you guys do as fans. And, uh, and, and that applies not just to me and Matt, it's everybody. We're all in this together. So, um, but I guess at the end of the day, uh, we'll just stay positive and, and, uh, and have as much fun as we can along the way. How is Silver Falls? Oh my God. That's, oh, that is beautiful. I have never been there and I don't know why I had never been there. And I cannot wait to go back there. Uh, my kids, my old, my teenager, who he's 15, Cooper, he's one of those, wants to just kind of hang out and play his video games and stuff like that, like most teenagers <laughs> do. You know, not a big hiker outdoor right. sort of deal. And even he was like, Dad, that was actually pretty awesome. You know, the cabin was good. We did the, the go-karts and stuff, which was fun as well. But the, the girls got to ride the horses, did horseback ride. They thought that was the greatest thing in the world. It's just, it was a great great few days up there um and i and i'm really appreciative and i just man i i know several people reached out to me on twitter about places to eat or what to do in that area and that is just some beautiful country of this state that i really hadn't spent much time in so uh i you know i don't know if you've been there but i will be back to silver creek falls uh I, I don't want to say very soon, but I know within a year we will definitely go back and do that again because that was a hell of a trip. Yeah, it's on my list for sure. I, I'm always blown away. Like, I don't think there's a bad part of our state, and, and that's right. biased. I'm an Oregonian. I've lived here since I was a toddler. There's there's not a bad place to go. No, there really isn't. There's even you know you start talking about like the John Day country or, oh, or way out there in eastern Oregon. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some there's some incredible places out there, but, but Silver beds. Creek, yeah, but Silver Creek Falls. I mean, I've been to the coast. I've been all up along the Oregon coast. Been all over Portland. Been all over Southern Oregon, and Silver Creek Falls is special. I mean, it's just it's just really special. The rainforest feel to it. The kids kept calling it Jurassic Park. You know, we're walking through the trails. And it was. It was very much like you're walking around Jurassic Park. You got these big leafy, 
you know, vegetation there. You've got ferns, you've got trees that have fallen down. You've got creeks running through everywhere. I mean, I don't recall. I think it's about an eight mile loop all the way around, but there's lots of cut throughs and stuff. And there's 10 waterfalls on it. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, you, you hike for a, a mile or, you know, you hike for a mile, you see a waterfall, you go another half mile or a mile, you see another waterfall. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And they're all different. You can walk behind some of them. You can, you know, walk in the, in the water at the bottom of some of them. Um, it's just, uh, and it, it's just, it's, it's breathtaking. It was really, it was really definitely something. And uh, last thing for you, what are you drinking this yeah. week? Well, I think, uh, I can't remember where I said this. So, oh, yeah, I think it was on Scoob Deck. Somebody asked me what I've been drinking, and everybody knows that, you know, I'm a beer guy. But I've been going out on the lake a lot uh, in the boat, been doing some wake surfing and all that. Pro- I mean, I've probably gone 12 times in the last three weeks just because there's no sports to write about. So, <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I've been going a ton. So given that, the fact that you're out on the lake all day, and when I go, I don't go for like three or four hours and then pull off the lake. I I get out there at 11 and I'm there till eight o'clock cause I, I freaking love it. So, uh, lots of Modelo, lots of 805, lots of city of dreams, a lot of crux pills. Um, I did go down to the local watering hole and pick up some smog city, um, and some other beers. I don't recall the names off the top because I bought about a dozen different beers, but, um, I'll start taking pictures and shooting those out of my, of my evening drinks at home so that people can see what, uh, what I've got, but there's a bunch of stuff uh in the fridge now but again i've been doing the light stuff because it's funny it's really funny so i usually go with a couple buddies right and you know everybody gets out there and has a few beers or whatever and you know you're getting ready you get the cooler ready you throw an ice in there you you know you throw 20 beers in there and it's three guys and you you know you think oh it's no problem we got plenty of beer and then by about five o'clock you're like what the hell we brought so much beer and we're out of beer and you can only do that if you're drinking the lighter stuff. I can't do that with the seven, eight percent IPAs. It's two or three of those, and it's like, oh boy, right? You know, so it's like so, it's yeah, like I, going fishing where you're you're gonna have like a lawnmower beer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Core. Yeah. Your your core's lighting it. You're like you said, lawnmower beer. You're getting a lager. You're getting a pilsner. You're getting something light. Um, I've been drinking more of those. Just you know, again, because I've been out on the lake a lot and uh, haven't hated it. Loved every minute of it. So I think uh, it's supposed to be. Uh, 106 down here Oof. in Medford on Saturday and Oof. 104 on Sunday. So you guys can probably guess where I'll be Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> oh man, ah, oh, I got to call my dad. Then I feel bad. I don't envy you. Oh no, it's it's only like 85 or something today. It's perfect today, but yeah, it's supposed to get it's supposed to climb the next few days. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's 100. It's slated to be 106 Saturday which sounds like a really good Lake of the Woods day because it's a little bit cooler up there. Yeah. And then, and then Sunday, 104, which is, which is not any different, but we'll probably go to Lost Creek Sunday. So. Yeah. Just bring bug spray. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I hear about Lake of the Woods, you know, bring bug spray. Hopefully I can get up there early enough that I can get off early enough that it, they won't bother me. I used to, I used to love it back there. Um, uh, cause I went to school in Klamath Falls, Oregon Tech. And we would go uh, to Lake of the Woods for Fourth of July, and it's it's incredible. You have so much room, so many places where you can just have a little space to yourself, uh, bring a grill, and just relax for the day. But uh, I I don't miss the bugs. Yeah, there's a lot of bugs up there, um, <laughs> and it gets windy. You know, it gets windy. So in terms of boating and stuff, if you're doing like wakeboarding or wake surfing, you yeah. know, you don't want too much wind. So uh, you know, I don't go up there too much, but 
um, they do have that wonderful lodge there. So I was thinking, man, I could go up there and, you know, get a good, uh, good day of, of being on the lake and then finish it with a nice little dinner there at the lodge and head home. Um, uh, cause it's only about 45 ish minutes from my house. So, um, so yeah, I guess that's the plan for now. I guess we'll see what happens, but I, I do, I do know I'll be on the lake and I, I, it's funny cause I was even talking to somebody, uh, yesterday, I think, um, about, well, man, if there's no football, uh, I guess I could still go do stuff in September, like, you know, go and taking the kids little trips here and there because they're not doing sports and they're not, you know, their school is going to be online and it's going to be a joke. I hope it's not, but it was a joke last year right? Uh, for the online stuff. So uh, I guess uh, I guess travel season has been extended by a month or two, potentially. Yeah. yeah. I'm just looking for positives here. I'm trying to stay positive, people. Yeah. So oh, I know my fiance, she, uh, she's probably looking at the positive there of if uh, – if I don't spend Saturday watching the Ducks and I don't spend Sunday watching the Raiders, which I'm going to knock on wood, cross my fingers, hope I'll still have Sunday, uh, my honeydew list gets a lot bigger. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, your honeydew, yep, that's the key. Yeah, still got to mow the lawn, still got to do all those things that that, uh, that go on the list. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I have not watched much NFL the last few years outside of, like, fantasy football reasons. Uh, so, I guess if, if they get the go ahead, I'll be covering a lot of NFL this uh, this fall to help keep content on the site. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, MarcusMariotaDuck.com. Uh, Justin <laughs> yeah. Hopkins with me, ScoopDuck.com. We're ScoopDuck and Hi-Fi. I feel pretty good about wrapping this up. How about you? I do. Yeah, I appreciate everybody for listening. Sorry we missed the last couple of weeks, but we'll we'll keep cranking these out, and I'm going to start getting some some guests back on the on the show here, and we're going to amp this thing back up. All right. All right, I'm looking forward to that. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, listen to us anywhere. Any podcast app, just search for it, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. And I'll say this, I read the comments on ScoopDuck.com. If we're not on your podcast app that you prefer, just let us know. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go Ducks! I can do this now.